0: and uh-huh. I'm always looking for new yeah. songs or maybe old songs that are new to me or songs that I've forgotten about and so I was looking at a lot of music this week by the group Lot, like you remember them what a wonderful um, worship music they produced and I found this um, hymn we of hymns as being like the ones staying sang today, just now. Most of them have lasted a hundred years or more. There's a reason they've lasted so long. Um, brother, I love the Booth Brothers, and at one of the Booth Brothers concerts, Michael was saying, you know, this stuff is still around. It's not good because it's old. It's good because it's good. Amen. That's right. And I am so thrilled to know and to find every now and then that hymns are still being written today. Amen. It's a little bit harder to find them because you we know, don't have, you know, a hymnal that has a new section in it or whatever. But I found this beautiful hymn and it's so worshipful. And so right back up, we're going to for you today and then next week we'll learn to sing it all together. It's called Wonderful, Merciful Savior.
1: Amen. <coughs>
2: can have our kiddos head off to Children's Church. Miss Brooke has got great stuff for you. And if you have your Bibles today, we are going to be going on a tour of your Bible. So get ready for the tour, right? So... Um, And if you don't have a Bible, in all seriousness, um, let me know after church. Come poke uh, me on the shoulder and say, Pastor, I don't have a Bible. And uh, we take for granted the fact that we carry our Bibles in here, or maybe we have them on our smart devices. But if you don't have one, uh, you know, let me know. We want to make sure that you get your hands on one. But the next two weeks that we're going to be talking here is taking God at his word. And this week... We're going to be talking simply about the validity of God's word that we can trust this Bible that we have today, the inerrancy of scripture, that they're not suggestions in here. Um, yes, men wrote this, but they were the inspired word of God through the Holy Spirit who imprinted it on the hearts of men to write on these manuscripts. So you have the Bible in front of you. And, uh, Alright, so you ready for this? We're gonna do a little thing. If you have your Bibles, maybe you hold your smartphone up. But if you have your Bible with you or your smartphone, hold it up for me if you will, okay? Good, good. Well, this is a more pronounced side over here. I think it's just because there's more people. So everybody's got their okay, great. So here we go. You ready? The V I V L E. That's the book for me. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone, I stand alone. On, the word of God. on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. V L E.
1: Isn't
2: that great? He's he's a... We got we have a water issue today. There's no bottles, but, uh, thanks, Monty. He's uh, smart to put it over there. But um, I wanted to read some things for you. Uh, turn real quick to Second Peter chapter one verses sixteen through twenty-one. Second Peter one verses sixteen through twenty-one. For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son in whom brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence And the message proclaimed by the prophets, they're talking about the prophets of old, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Isn't that a beautiful thing that we can... Rely on scripture and rely on the understanding that every word, every dot and tittle was, was, was put in place by God exactly how He wanted. I read an um, article that was dated September 6, 2007, and it wrote uh, doc, this was to Dr. Billy Graham, the late Dr. Billy Graham. I know I ought to read my Bible, but every time I try to read it, I just end up getting confused. I was never really a good student, and all those strange names and places in the Old Testament get me lost. Is the Bible really that important? What am I doing wrong? Signed, Mrs. L. Y. Dear Mrs. L. Y., Dr. Graham responds, I noticed you are married. Did you ever get a letter from your husband to be and decide you wouldn't bother reading it because his handwriting was poor, or you were too busy for some other reason? I doubt it, and yet that's what many of us do with the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to us, telling us not only that he loves us, but showing us what he has done to demonstrate his love. It also tells us how we should live, because God knows what is best for us, and he wants us to experience it. Never forget the Bible is God's word, given to us so that we can know and follow him. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16 says. Let me suggest, first of all, that you begin with one of the Gospels. Christ is the center of the Bible, and the Gospels tell us about His life and His teaching. In other words, don't start at the beginning of the Bible, but at its center with Jesus Christ. Then get a Bible you can understand. Your pastor or a Christian bookstore can suggest a reliable modern translation. Don't skip around, but read straight through each book so you get the main points. In addition, pray as you read, and ask God to help you understand what He wants to say to you through that passage. Don't give up, but let God use His word to change you every day. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Folks, today we are going to talk about this beautiful book called the Bible, God's love letter to you and to me. Not a book of tips and not a book of how-tos, but God's glory revealed to the hearts of all of mankind. Folks, what we have done with this Bible is that we've used it kind of as an information source. But I want you to kind of... Kind of strapped down a little bit, a little bit differently. And even how Dr. Graham said, how Billy Graham said to that lady, he said, listen, he goes, you're not going to understand everything, basically what he's going to say, right? How many have figured out the whole Bible yet, if you could raise your hand? So, all those people that had that Bible up, you're not sure of everything in Scripture, are you? We're students of God's Word. And so, what we do is we bring the Word of God. And we open it up and we allow God to cut into our hearts and to do surgical work and to work in and through us. And it's a beautiful thing. I want to think about our Bibles. You know, the Bible is still the most popular book in the world. It's absolutely amazing. The average American has, I think, on average, six Bibles per household. Now, what most people do with their Bibles is they kind of use them as some kind of like magic thing where they're like, you know, grandma's. Bibles over there, because the statistics prove that most Americans don't even open their scripture up. Most people actually, if you interview them, most Christians think that Joan of Arc was married to Noah. That's Christians. So us evangelicals don't have a lot to stand on, because we're really good at doing church, but we're really bad at the Bible. Can I get an amen there? Let's just be honest. Let's just be really honest with ourselves. As, as time goes on, we become more and more illiterate of scripture. We become more and more lack of understanding because what we do too much is we say, Well, I listened to this good preacher. How many said that this is a good preacher? This is a good teacher. And that's all well and good. But do you know what we lack? Is our personal devotion to opening up the Word of God to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what He wants to tell us? Now, I'm not going to bash over your head today if you didn't open your Bible yet this week. What I hope to do today is I hope to encourage you to understand that you don't have to have everything figured out today. You don't have to have everything figured out tomorrow. What you do have to allow God to do is you open your heart and say, God, reveal to me through your word and through scripture what I should do. If you're not really acquainted with your Bible today, and you might be a Christian for 20 years, and you still got grandma's Bible over there, and you haven't to touched the dumb thing. That's not a dumb thing, but you know what I'm saying. Start in the book of John. Honestly, just start in the book of John. Start in John chapter 1. And here's what's beautiful about the book of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 gives us the picture of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The opening of the book of John tells us the beginning of where Jesus was. Jesus was at the presence of of creation. He was the one that declared the Word. The Word, He spoke the Word, and the world came into existence. Jesus Christ, God. Amen. That's right. We see throughout Scripture, from the very beginning, and woven through all the tapestry of the Word of God, we see even in Genesis 3.15, where Jesus declares prophetically that He will die on the cross for the sins of man. The serpent will heal hurt my ankle or heal my foot. But I will destroy and crush his head. Genesis
1: 3.15
2: Today we talk about the Bible, God's love letter to you and to me. It's not a book of begats. It's not a book of learning maps. It's not a book to figure out where Israel and all this stuff is. It's a book for you and I to get white on fire for Jesus Christ. What good is it if we measure and, and, and memorize every word of scripture and it never even touches our hearts? What good is it? What good is it if we're reading it for more knowledge and more head knowledge? It's it's so important for us to understand. I read another little article here. You might have known this. This recently happened. Harvest billboards showing evangelist Greg Laurie with Bible taken down from malls after complaints. Isn't this funny? This is where our society has gotten to in America. They did an article here and out in Southern California, they had these posters up and, and maybe you can see this. Here's what the poster was. This is a black and white image of Greg Laurie there holding a black book. It doesn't even say Bible on it. It's just a black book, and he's got a microphone, and it says, Harvest SoCal with Greg Laurie, and he says there's still Wickham. Evangelist Greg Laurie leads the multi-campus Harvest Christian Fellowship, was recently forced to remove billboards promoting his annual SoCal Harvest from two popular malls in Southern California because they featured him holding a nondescript Bible in his hand that some people found offensive. Even after the evangelist and his team adjusted the artwork for the billboard to use an aqua's photos to promote the event, the company that contracted to advertise the event nixed their promotion. There was nothing overtly religious about it, John Collins, harvest director, said. He noted that the Bible depicted in the image on the billboards did not even have a cross A religious symbol, or even the word Bible on it. The annual SoCal harvest is free, yada, yada, yada. But it was just interesting how this book has become offensive to America. It's become offensive in the public fair. Do you know if you, I know Nate's mentioned this before, I'll put Nate on the stage here, is Nate tells me he'll walk down the hallway and he'll carry his Bible to school. Now school's an interesting place because they basically banned all prayer and Bibles pretty much. So to carry that around, you're a pretty wacky person. Nate, everyone say, Nate, you're a wacky guy. But yet we don't have a problem with someone wearing some kind of shirt that extremely Extremely offensive. We don't mind the billboards of half-naked women on the billboards because that's not offensive. We call that art in America now. That offensive stuff is the stuff, the flagrant things that fly in the face of God. Those are the things that are offensive in America and our secular society now. And so the validity of Scripture, Bible, being pushed out of the public square, what it's done though, and here's what I'm excited about, it's actually created a vacuum in America. There's a vacuum being created and people are desperate for understanding. Do you know the one place statistically where people will go to when they're down and out and need help? The Bible. It's a place, it's a a thing that we go to. When I was praying for Julia this last week, our neighbor, by the way, keep praying for her. But I brought my Bible into that hospital to to pray some scripture over her. That's a good idea to pray the word of God over someone when they're going through a challenge, right? And yet sometimes the Bible becomes the very last thing we go to. I want us to jump into the idea... Of the glory of God revealed and being grounded by His Word. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're still without excuse. Do you know that? If you're in the jungles right now and you don't have a Bible, you still don't have an excuse. Boy, this water's going to save me today, money. Romans 1, 19 through 21. Because we all get into this. We're like, well, what about somebody who doesn't have the Bible or can't read or they're illiterate? Well, here we go. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth of God about God. He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. Instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Man, what a deep, amazing verse of scripture there. And it sure gives us clarity and understanding. When I woke up today and saw all the beautiful snow that was on the trees and everything, do you know what? You know what I saw? I saw the glory of God revealed through the very snow on those trees. If we do not see God's glory, we are still responsible to see it and to treasure it as glorious and give God, give God thanks. If we don't, we are without excuse. So when we open the Word of God, you say, well, what does that have to do with the Scriptures Himself?" When we open the Bible and we are kind of bored by it and we're kind of not even investigative, we're not even going after it, we're without excuse. We can say, well, I didn't know. Well, the Bible says the glory of God is revealed in everything that He's created. John Piper writes this about glory. He said, Clyde Kilby, my favorite English teacher, said something to this effect. One of the greatest tragedies of the fall is that we get tired of familiar glories. Catch that word, familiar glories. That simple statement sank deep into my consciousness. It made me very sad, because I saw how superficial and unresponsive I was to so many wonders around me. It filled me with a longing not to be like that. I did not want to arrive in the Alps, be filled with wonder for a couple days, but by the end of the week be watching television in the chalet. I lamented my ability to actually yawn during Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. Which means I loathe the thought of speaking the glory of God in a way that is so familiar or stale or cliched that it wakens no sense of wonders. Of course I realize that only God can waken true wonder at the glory of God. Kilby was right. The fall has left us deeply dysfunctional emotionally. We are excited by trivia and bored by grandeur. We strain out a gnat to admire and swallow a camel of glory unnoticed. Nevertheless, I want to try to use language that helps us see what the glory of God is, if I can. Folks, isn't that amazing? We open the Word of God and we almost yawn doing it. Come on. It becomes kind of the last thing. It becomes kind of whatever. We kind of chalk the Word of God to all our other cute books. We put the Word of God next to the tips booked by Oprah. We put the Word of God next to our self-help stuff. We put the Word of God next to our yoga and our meditation. We put the Word of God literally beneath everything else in our life. But pastor, I need some help with this and need some help with that. Have you tried the Word of God yet? John 3.19, we won't turn there, but maybe write it down. It says, the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, when Jesus came to the world, his own didn't even recognize him. He didn't get this big parade. When When the light came into the world, we didn't recognize him. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness. We say, but when's God going to show something to me? He has given you His glory. He has shown Himself. God in flesh has dwelt among us. God and man, the hypostatic union. God, Emmanuel, has shown Himself to us. But we choose darkness. Foolish ideas, by the way, means perverted logic and idolatrous presumptions. Of those who do not honor God or show Him any gratitude for His blessings on humanity. When we start to understand and realize that this word is precious to me. And that we consume the word like the prophet declared. That we tie reminders around our neck. If you'll see in my house, my wife is so awesome. She puts these promises of scripture on the refrigerator. How many of you, know you go to refrigerate refrigerator a lot during the day? Beautiful promises, and I'll look at those things, and just one after another is all over, folks. I'm challenging you. When the Word of God becomes precious to you, it will bleed from the pages, and it will go into your heart. But Grandma's Bible won't save your day. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light. How many of us, we don't like to say we've gotten into perverted logic, but how many times have we gotten into the per- perverted logic of our own life and we don't honor God, we come up with our own presumptions of Scripture and do this. Let me tell you something. This. Two thousand nineteen. This Bible right here has answering has answers to every issue we face. Socially speaking, you say, Well, what about gender identity and all that crazy spectrum stuff? Where you get to choose whether you're a male or a female today. Let me tell you something. If science doesn't work good enough for you to fix that, go to Bible, the Bible, which says you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. How about we talk about the social issues of what What uh, abortion is, and that life that God gave to us, how about we get back to the place again of Scripture where God teaches us the value of every human life? How about homosexuality and sexual perversion and the sexual revolution we're facing today? We've even gotten to the point where we're like, well, does the Bible really speak of it? From cover to cover, multiplicity of verses of what God teaches on what's the right way to love and the traditional family that God instituted, Adam and Eve, to replenish the earth and to bless all mankind. The Word of God is so relevant it's ridiculous. And yet, why is the church so confused right now? 2 Kings 22, verses 8 through 13. Let's turn there and see the attitude towards Scripture and what the Bible declares to us. You know, Oz Guinness, I wish I would have put this quote down, but Oz Guinness was talking about impossible people, how we as the Church of God need to become impossible people, meaning that we need to stand on the Word of God and have something to stand for. Do you know, you ever wonder, what does the world do without being able to stand on anything? You know, the opinions of man and how it changes. And he said, do you know what we have an issue in the church today of? It's not being radical this or radical that. We are so in the middle and so wishy-washy, we don't stand on anything in the church anymore. Second Kings 22, verses 8-13 through 13. Hilkah discovers God's law, the Word of God. See, here Josiah started reigning at the age of eight. He's dedicated to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says in verse 2, it says, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He didn't turn away from doing what was right. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Asai, and grandson of Melslom, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord he told them go to the high priest and have them count the money and the gatekeepers and basically getting everything back in order now let's jump real quick to verse 8 Helekah the high priest said to Shaphan the court secretary I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple I found it Shaphan went to the king and reported your officials have turned over the money collected at the temples in other words it was all under the money and stuff and the workers and the supervisors of the temple, Shaphan also told the king, Hillekah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king, and when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, and Alkin, the son of Shaphan, uh, and for son of uh, Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and aci the king's personal advisor, Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people. Inquire about the words written in the scrolls But find the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. Do you get what's going on with this king whose heart is turned toward the Lord? He is rented. His heart is full of repentance because this word, the scroll, which was hidden under all the stuff in the temple that they were building up, they find the word of God and the king's heart is torn and he wants to repent because he realizes that I am not obeying everything that this word commands. Folks, the Bible is full of commands, not suggestions. Not feel goods. The Bible gives us instructions. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments hit us in the face. We've got one beautiful pastor now that's saying the Ten Commandments aren't relevant anymore. We have one pastor saying no. Beautiful. I guess thou shalt not kill doesn't work for us. It's not required by law, guys. Just so, you know. so if you don't like someone going down the street, slash his tires and take them out to eternity. That's great. Thou shalt not steal. All these laws. Do you know what the law does? The law makes us realize that I need a savior. Yeah. That's what the law does. The law reveals Steve last sin for the week last week. Anybody sin last week? I'm serious. But see, if you're not grounded in the Word of God and submitted to His Word, you're stubborn about it, and you're getting your you're getting your your call, you're getting your duties, you're getting your emotional support from yourself or your friends. They're never going to prick you like the Word of God can prick you. Because your friends are only going to tell you what you need to hear. Yeah. The Word of God's going to tell you what you need to hear. We don't think we can get perverted in our logic. So often we get our presumptions, presumptuous in our walk with God. So we adjust our lives to the Word of God and it breaks us. Folks. One thing that will start to happen when you truly start to rely on the Word of God and saying, God, this Word is for me from cover to cover, from back to front, is a spirit of repentance comes over all of us. How many of us, we go through life completely unchecked, unwavering and stubborn in our resolve, and we hold the Bible lower than our own thoughts and opinion on the Bible itself? I think what ends up happening is we've been loving other things to cherish the Word of God, just like Jos- Josiah did in Second Kings there when they found in the temple the Word of God. I see another story that Oz Guinness writes about Emily uh, Fakenham, the distinguished Jewish scholar in Holocaust survival, tells of a picture that was hanging in his parents' home in Germany. It was of an old bearded Jews fleeing for their lives from the pogrom and clutching what was the most precious to them. In view of the anti Semites, these Jews would doubtless be clutching bags of gold. In fact, each of them in that picture carries a Torah scroll. See, we see them fleeing and going after things. They're not grabbing their wallets. They're not grabbing their fancy clothes and their fancy cars and all that they have and all that they've invested their life in. They've invested their life in the Word of God. You see these men, these old men, grabbing their scrolls, realizing that this is all that matters. I challenge you this week to look in view of Scripture I challenge you this week to open up the Word of God and actually take your Christian faith seriously. It'd be like you going into school. Maybe you're studying history, whatever you want to have. Boy, you know, we always get serious about careers, don't we? This is my career focus for the next 15 years, and I'm going to study this, and I'm going to really devote to this, and this can be really great, and I'm going to be this kind of person. Which is nothing wrong with that. But I always want my kids to know, however successful you become in this journey... This better be the thing that you're really successful at. This better be it. Make $100 million, so what? Have a great, successful journey in your college career. Get 100% in all your tests. But if you're failing at what God has called us to do and to go after the things of God, then we are failing miserably. It's so important for us to cherish the Word of God. There was once a time, he goes on to write, when the Bible was similarly precious to the evangelicals, when Bible believing was almost a synonym for an evangelical, when no evangelical would begin their day without reading and studying the Scripture. That's not the same way. That's not the evangelicalism we know now. Watch what God does in His infinite mercy. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Going back now to that Roman scripture that says, you know what, they choose the evil ways, they chose darkness, well what what, what do we do now? If they, if my neighbor, if everything going on in my life, I chose darkness, well let me tell you, it's a beautiful thing that happens. God sends preachers. This was when Saul was going out and he wanted to decimate the believers that were walking after Christ, and he was truly a religious guy, but yet he didn't know the God, Jesus Christ. He was serving his version of God. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. In verse 15. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles, Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place amongst God, people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul, I am sending you to open their eyes. I want you to know today with the Word of God, it's very powerful, it it cuts through, it takes care of everything. When you apply the Word of God like a healing balm to the things going on in your life, eyes start opening, ears start opening, and people will start to hear. I think it's a very powerful thing. You think about how you personally came to Christ. And when the Word of God doesn't return void, who knows what verse of Scripture impacts people and awakens us to the things of God. Number two, is to be grounded by His Word. Like I said before, I, I, I sat there thinking as I was writing this, how the world gets through its day. How people get through their day without Jesus Christ. How people get through circumstances without knowing that God cares for them. Without knowing where eternity is in my life. Do I have heaven as my home? Do I know Jesus Christ, a friend that sticks close to another? People don't have things to rely upon. They have nothing to rely on. Second Timothy four three through four says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but at itching years they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Isn't that interesting? The time's coming. And this was back then. Imagine where we are now. The time's coming where people will get for themselves itching ears. The time will come for people in their lives to say, you know what, I don't need that. That stuff bothers me. I'm offended by that. Folks, if you don't leave here at any given Sunday and the Word of God hasn't offended you, I am not doing my job properly. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, like, I want to be offended. <laughs> I really do. I want to be offended. I want myself to be offended. I want somewhere in Scripture... To wake me up because we get... The other thing too, for us seasoned Bible readers, we are unaffected by it many times and we just keep reading through it and that scripture hasn't done. We need to even reprocess how we read scripture for all of us seasoned Bible readers. As you become more and more grounded in His Word, life circumstances, as crazy as they come, won't be able to steal all the precious seed of God's Word. I think that is so... Powerful for us in our lives. There was a verse that I wanted us to pop into here. Um, Jesus turn real quick to Luke chapter 24 verses 21 through 27. How does Jesus reveal himself to people? Luke twenty one or Luke twenty-four, twenty-one through twenty-seven. Here he's talking, the walk to Emmaus. Two of Jesus' followers, actually in verse thirteen, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. This is the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things that have happened in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. So these guys got an abbreviated view. He's a good prophet, a good man, did miracles. We had hoped he would have been the Messiah of Israel. And Jesus is... Basically, going to show them up and tell them, listen, I'm the Messiah of the world. Forget Israel. <laughs> then, some women from our group, his followers, were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. And Jesus said to them, Isn't this interesting? I love Jesus' responses. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of what? Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. At the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay a night with us since it's getting late. So they went home with him. And as they sat down, he took the bread, blessing it. He broke the bread and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. So neat. I wanted to bring the scripture to focus for us today. An understanding of, isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't perform another miracle for them? He didn't like do a dance for them. He breaks down scripture from Moses, the prophets, at that moment. And I say that for you and for me with our scripture. When we're going through all of our emotional fits. Anybody ever have an emotional fit before? When you're going through your highs and your lows in life and you feel like, man, I failed or this isn't working in my life and watch as Jesus allows His Holy Spirit to speak into your life as you open the Word of God, and He will reveal Himself to you as you open the Word of God, and allow Scripture to do what it was there to do. All Scripture, by the way, points to the person of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation full to- foretold about this coming Messiah. Jesus takes them through Scripture, all the prophets concerning Himself. Here's what happens with scripture though. Don't turn there, but John 5:39 says, "You search the scripture because you think they give you eternal life. But the scripture's point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life." Folks, I want to challenge you this, where are you turning when you're down? And that's going to be the hardest part. And I challenge you is to get white hot with God when you're going through rougher time. That is now the time to find who your true friends are. And let me tell you something. Your true friends are sitting right here in Turning Point Church. I challenge you to get around a group of people that will encourage you. I challenge you to break open the scripture and break open the bread of God's glory. And allow scripture to redefine who you are in life. Being fully convinced of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's turn there. I told you we're going on a tour. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy is being admonished. I want you to know in 2019 it would become less and less popular for you to be a Bible believer, to say you trust the Word of God. I think of one congregational church, before we turn there, one congregational church in Rockford, which if it has congregational in front of it, just question it first before you go there. I'll just be honest with you. That's just a little tip. Not all churches proclaim the glory of God and the inerrancy of Scripture. But let me tell you this, this. This billboard says we take the Word of God seriously. Not literally. That was their slogan last year. That's cute. So that's kind of where the church is. So don't look for a church to preach these kind of things because it becomes offensive to people. Well, That, that was a little rabbit trail, so let's uh... But you must remain faithful in verse 14 of chapter 3 to the things that you've been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by what? Trusting in Christ Jesus. So he gets this knowledge of Scripture, and this is a beautiful verse for our children's ministry. As the children are being taught right now, Brooke right now is opening the Word of God. She's teaching the memorization, all these different concepts of faith. And I love where he goes. He doesn't say, remember the things that you learned and that fancy Bible college you went to, Timothy. He didn't say that. He said, remember the wisdom that Scripture brought you from your childhood. Do you remember when the Bible actually, to a kid, when the Bible opens up for a kid and you tell them these stories and these beautiful things, that's real to them and somehow there's a transfer that takes place in us adults and we start to go, well now, did that really happen and could God do this and did God really part the Red Sea did did he really flood the earth and was there really Adam and Eve? And I want to tell you, yes, yes, yes. Being fully convinced of Jesus is so powerful for us. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I had one couple I was talking to. I don't remember who they were. But I asked them, does their child know Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior? And she said, well, we're just going to wait until they get a lot older and they can kind of, kind of figure it out for themselves. And what Jewish tradition teaches me is it says, teach the child the way they should go. And when they are older, they won't depart from it.
1: Yeah, that's
2: right. So it's not like I drag my kids by their ankles and say, you memorize this and figure this out right now. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is that when we teach the kids the way of salvation, I don't give them a platter full of poop and say, figure out, figure out what tastes good to you and then you go later. See, what us Christians have done in the evangelical church even, is we've gotten to the place where we feel like, well, I just don't want to preach to my kids or tell them anything. No, no. Your kids are going to get truth from someone or something. Your kids are getting truth from professors and teachers that are jamming their gospel down their throats. And we just sit back by and we go, no, it's it's no big deal. They're they're just figuring it out. What harm is it? Let me tell you something. These words of truth, it pricks, it goes after. Let me tell you something. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy that kid's life. Teach the kids that they can be convinced of Scripture in Jesus Christ. Teach kids how to read the Word of God. It is an amazing thing what can happen in their lives. John Piper writes this, and it's a very long claim. But we talk about Jesus and Scripture. Jesus wasn't a good man. He wasn't Confucius or Buddha. Jesus was the Lord of all. And he says the shocking claim of Jesus about himself created a new authority in the world. All authority equal to and beyond that of the Hebrew Bible. This has always been the stumbling block for those who do not recognize the staggering nature of what happened in the coming of Jesus, that God himself had entered the world as the God-man. All efforts turn to Jesus as a... Non-divine, remarkable, even revolutionary Jesus, our Jewish teacher, shatter again and again on the outrageous claims he made about himself. Even in the places you would least expect them. For example, the Sermon on the Mount. There was old liberalism 100 years ago, which has representatives today, that loved the Sermon on the Mount as the most radical collection of Jesus' ethical teachings. Here, the old liberals hope to be rid of the mythological claims about the supernatural person, and instead find a simple religion of the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and the ethical of love. They love the following words from this famous sermon, Blessed are the peacemakers. Whatever you wish others to do for you, do also to them. Judge not, lest you be judged. Love your enemies. Aren't those cute? Don't they feel warm and fuzzy? Give yourself a nice warm hug, real They just go, hmm. Nate, thank you. <laughs> but just when they fought... Jesus was a good Moses-like, Confucius-like, Mahatma-like, Mao-like teacher. Suddenly, right there in the Sermon on the Mount, the imperial, supernatural I or me has smacked them in the face. He goes on to write in this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Jesus saying, Lord, Lord... Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Jesus making the claim himself. The one who is going to be the final judge declaring whether someone goes to heaven or someone goes to hell. He goes on to write the staggering. Imagine hearing an ordinary Jewish teacher talking like this. He is saying at the last judgment, I will be the one you will give an account to. I will be there as judge, and I will decide who enters heaven and who goes to hell. In other words, this teacher of the Sermon on the Mount is the judge of the universe. This is simply breathtaking. Such talk would eventually get Jesus killed, but the radiance of God's glory and such authority would give rise to the New Testament canon. Isn't that amazing? The reason why that's so amazing is Jesus is not just a good person. He is the author and finisher of our faith. John Frame wrote this, Crass as it may sound to modern religious speculators, it is evident from biblical history that God intends to rule his church through a book. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. You think about that all the thousands of years. All the prophets and all the word of faith and everything that has been written in this book from cover to cover. Folks, what we have a beautiful capture in Scripture today is we have where man came from. We have our identity. Throughout Scripture, we see all the shadows and types of who Jesus is and what he would be. In Revelation, we have how everything will end if you will, or everything will rebegin as Jesus returns as the conquering king. But I hope that this Sunday, that you choose to look at your Bible a little differently. It is not your reader's digest. It is not to be put alongside anything else in your life. It is to be brought before everything. And everything is to submit to every word and thought in this book. And today, if your life is not submitted to the Word of God, then you're going to go in places I don't even know. But you can have a sure mind and a sure salvation today. And this Bible can mean something to you. As you take Scripture seriously once again, as you take Bible reading seriously once again, and so often we kind of twitch because we all all of a sudden turn it into a legalistic kind of thing. But all I want to tell you is the Bible commands to meditate on His Word daily. To meditate on the Word of God day and night. That's as legalistic as I'm going to get today. Today my call for you and for our church family is that we take the Word of God for what it is. Written, the heart of God written through the hand of man. And today, maybe right now, in this moment, you say, you know, first of all, I don't, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the one man the whole Scripture points to is this man, Jesus Christ. And he is not on the throne of your heart, and you want to give your life to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is a moment for you right now to understand the judge of the world who will separate the wheat from the chaff the sheep from the goats, whatever you want to say, the followers from the posers. Say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ this day. I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment, maybe the word of God has not been something very near to you. And I would dare say, if you're not even kind of picking up scripture or even meditating on it all then that needs to be a first heart check for you. And you can glean from that and know the security that God has given to you in your faith in Christ. You say, you know what? I'm going to start this week taking God's word more seriously. And developing a better habit of that. Why don't you just Raise your hand. I want to pray with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God honors that. Saying, you know what, I'm going to start prioritizing that once again in my life. Why don't we pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the precious word that you gave to me. I trust once again in your word. I place my heart on the table and allow you to operate through your word. Reveal to me things this week, Lord. As I change my motivations and my habits to allow your word to be settled in my heart. I take other things off the table now. And I allow this word to take precedent to be first. And I thank you, God, For the words that you gave to me. Forgive me God. For lacking in my zeal. For your word. Fill me today God. Open my eyes. Open my understanding. As I study your word. May I grow deeper in my faith. In Jesus name. Amen. Folks, I want to tell you, there's a lot more apologetic people that could go a whole lot deeper and go through scriptures and manuscripts. And, you know, one of the books I would challenge you to read, and by the way, reading's a good thing. So if you're not really good at reading, audio books are fantastic when you're traveling around. But one book in particular, if you want to say, man, how, how can I know about the inerrancy of scripture as I study? One of them is great. It's John Piper's book called A Peculiar Glory. I say that really fast for me. But no, Uh Peculiar Glory, and he goes into the Old Testament manuscripts and the New Testament, how we get the 66 books that we know called the Bible. But it's a beautiful, beautiful book. But here's what I want to do next week. So next week, we're going to learn how to study our Bibles, okay? This week was about saying you can trust in God's Word and that it's sure in every word you can rely upon. But next week is about kind of putting... The idea of really supernaturally allowing the God. You know, here's what's so neat about the Word of God for us, is that this Bible is supernatural. We serve a supernatural God, and until we turn that faucet on in our life to allow God's miracle and the Holy Spirit, the rebirth, you know, do you know how miraculous the rebirth is? You didn't think your way into faith. God gifted you the gift of salvation and reopened your eyes. There was a supernatural event that happened in your heart. And so that's not different in reading the Bible. Next week, we're going to talk about maybe you choose this year. And I'm going to, gosh, I wanted to rub this up and talk to Rod about this, but I'm going to do this now. Maybe this year we start all of us jumping in and read the Bible in a year. Okay? So I did a little thing, and everyone's like, what? No way. But I'm going to challenge all of us this year. We're going to read the Bible in a year. That's what we're going to do next week. Okay? I'm going to have some papers and stuff for us to do. Do you know there's 700 and I think 70,000 words in the Bible? The average adult reads 225 words a minute. If you read the Bible between 10 and 15 minutes a day, you will have your Bible read in a year. Now how many have been on their Facebook for 10 or 15 minutes a day here? Or watched three hours of television? I was watching three hours of football yesterday. I did nothing with my life. (laughs) So, that's the challenge for next week. Now watch, we have not a lot of people here next week. No one's going to be here, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to do it. You know why? There was something neat. When I was, we're not done yet. No. Um, so when I, when I was in high school, I went to Christian life. And there was, I went to prayer one morning. I was either a sophomore or a junior. We would just go through the chapel. And we each individually had prayer and Bible reading. I would just go there and hang out. So I was sitting there, and what they did once a year is they would have these Bible readers out in the lobby. And once a year, they read the Bible from end to end, and it was on a little microphone. And for 24 hours, they read that they had someone reading Scripture till they got to the end. And I thought that was the neatest thing, to honor God in Scripture. Because what we have done in church is we've gotten to the point where we kind of didn't even need the Bible anymore on Sundays. And we've patterned our life. I challenge you next week, again, bring your Bibles. If you don't have a study Bible and you say, you know what, I raised my hand this morning, I don't have a Bible, whatever it is, please see me and I want to get a Bible in your hand. No one needs to feel bad about it. No one needs to feel ashamed about it. You're on your journey where you're at. I'm on my journey where I'm at. But God is meeting you right where you're at and He is going to honor that for you and for me. But I, I pray that our church gets really serious about the Bible again. And some of us already are. So this is preaching to some of you as the choir. But as a whole, I pray that our church goes, man, I want to go deep, go deep, 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 because the statistics prove otherwise in America. And I think if we want revival in America, forget about changing this political thing and that thing here and that thing here. It all is going to happen right here. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to end. Lord, I just thank you so much for today. God, just for the, gosh, we have this beautiful book that you've given to us, your love letter. And Lord, just like the simplicity of what Billy Graham wrote to that lady, he just simply said, this is a love letter. And God, you want us to know your heart. You want us to know about you, and not just to know about you, but to grow in relationship with you. And God, I pray that as those who have made that honest commitment in their hearts, saying, you know what, I need to jump into this Bible more than I ever have before. God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here weary. I pray they wouldn't bash themselves over the head because they missed this or missed that. I thank you that the word of God is written on their hearts. And God, as you remind them of the scriptures, as they take those steps, Father, I pray that you would honor that. I pray you would reveal through your Holy Spirit things I pray that they would grab hold of Bible promises and as they write things down it would kind of awaken things in their heart that were dead and maybe they went to other places for answers father and they find today that their answer right now is in this book and their answer right now isn't what you're showing to them and what you're revealing to them they might have tried everything else people money jobs the shortcuts Lord, I thank you that through scripture there's no shortcuts, but oh my gosh, the peace of God that passes all understanding for those who know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that as you challenge us, God, that we would grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. I'm officially dying. But you have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. And thanks so much for coming. And we look forward to seeing you next week. And if you haven't followed in Believer's Baptism, see me. And I'd love to to talk to you about that if you haven't followed through in that command that God gives to us. Amen.